This is Tom Fox. Over the next several episodes, Professor Karen Woody and myself are going to take the Woody Report in a different direction. We're going to take a look at the great HBO series Succession Season 4. We're going to dissect it and give you the synopsis. And then Karen and I are going to talk about how it fits into the cultural milieu, what it means for securities law and other laws as the Logan family goes through its throes of whether to have succession or not. I know you'll enjoy this series. In this episode, episode two of Succession, The Rehearsal. In this episode, we find Logan Roy, who gets to keep control of ATN under the terms of the Gojo sale, visiting the newsroom to announce his plans to radically revamp the ATN vision. Investor Stewie and Sandy tell the kids that they want to veto the Gojo uh, acquisition at Waystar's upcoming board meeting to negotiate a price increase. All of the kids but Shiv dismiss this proposal and go to spend time with Connor, but the Swede, Matson privately calls Kendall to say he will call off the acquisition if he is pushed on the price. This, however, drives Kendall to become suddenly interested in Stewie and Sandy's proposal. Uh, Logan meets uh, with his children at an incredible scene at a karaoke bar to convince them to allow the Gojo sale to go through, but Kendall and Shiv refuse to make peace with their father. Roman, going weary of his brother and sister's desire to spite their father, visits him at home where Logan asks his help in negotiating with Matson, and then offers him a position as the head of ATN after the sale. So Karen, what were some of the key themes you saw in episode two? All right, episode two. Now this, I mean, this show has really taken on a lot, even just in the first couple of episodes. So the themes of episode two, obviously we have the power plays between the kids and Logan. We see that in the final few scenes, but you know, we see it all along. You see it actually in the initial scene about the helicopter because being canceled because Logan's still angry over maybe the first acquisition. So you see this constant push and pull. So that's a theme that again, this, you know, is in fairness, maybe the foundation of this entire show. So that's one that comes up. The other one I think is really on who Logan Roy is and what he's planning to do next. We see in this episode this, you know, full-throated attempt to have a return to the ATN. He does that even from the news floor, this sort of big rousing speech. So can Logan reinvent himself after he might, you know, sell to Gojo, but then also has lost the Pierce acquisition, like, you know, he talks about creating a new thing, build something better and faster and leaner, all those terms he uses, and he gets people to kind of be cheering for him. So it is this sort of attempt to reinvent himself or to shore up his power again, as it seems like it's, you know, flagged a little between him and the kids. There's also, again, another theme of the show is the sort of interesting twist of the nepotism we saw with Carrie maybe getting to be an anchor and then obviously that not working out. And uh, the obvious, you know, you know that that was so clearly a result of nepotism, but even then how she's fired is also an awkward 
still sort of uh, Logan pulling strings without trying to pull the strings. So all of those, I think, were what jumped out at me. I'm sure I'm missing a few of other sort of interpersonal relationships I didn't even touch on the Willa and Connor thing. There's a lot of other things happening this episode, but to me, those those jumped out. Right. The uh, the Carrie uh, situation, I had thought that Logan, uh, by the end of this episode, had completely outmaneuvered everyone by giving her what she wanted and having somebody else take it away. And, you know, instead of him saying, you know, like Saturday Night Live, Jane, you ignorant slut. <laughs> I really thought he made them do the dirty work. And Tom didn't do the, the dirty work. You know, he passed it down to Greg. And then Greg's him hot attempt to get the information out um, was classic Greg, I thought. Yeah. Um, so that was one. You know, obviously the family dynamics, but it was for me the hurt, whatever hurt you as a child. That stays with you forever. And although at the ending scene, they really didn't talk about the childhood for the most part. That's what I saw was kids who were very hurt. I don't want to say abused, but, you know, very damaged starting at a very young age. And that continued all the way up mm-hmm. the pain in those voices. It was basically daddy. You never said you love me. Yeah. And I, I found that incredibly poignant. Um, Connor, um, took that to an entirely new level. I thought, I think he may be the one that's the most damaged of them all. Um, we didn't talk about it in episode one, but there was a great line about the 1% right. in episode one, except it was his 1% of people who were going to vote for him in his, uh, putative presidential run. And, uh, I don't know if Steve Forbes got 1% or not, but um, it was pretty, pretty pathetic to watch him wallow around, not wanting to go below 1%. Um, And in this episode, he ends the night uh, basically saying, I've lost in love before. In fact, I've given up on love. If you give up on love, you can never be hurt. So I'm good. Yeah. um, I live basically on rocks, in rocks, and under rocks. So don't worry about me. And that really spoke to me as a very damaged, damaged individual. Um, I love the pettiness of the helicopter. That was just, that was just perfect. So, and then the, um, but also with Connor and the rehearsal dinner, um, so the helicopter was important because it was going to get the children to Connor's rehearsal dinner on time. That didn't happen. So they're late and they run up and they see his fiance leaving with his fiance's girlfriends. And apparently they're the only people at the rehearsal dinner. It's at a, a table at a very nice restaurant, but it's not a private room. It's room in the middle and they've all had a lot to drink. And, um, it's not that Connor's friends weren't there. I'm not sure he has any friends. Right. And, you know, obviously no Logan. Um, whoever's going to give him the ring to put on her finger, he wasn't there. And I found that just 
incredibly sad as well. And then the whole, he put an app on her phone to track her, you know, he tracks her. And at first I thought it was a control thing, but then I sort of came to believe it was just a lost puppy dog thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, Connor really was really pretty poignant, but the, the most poignant line for me, I would say one of my three lines was, mm. I want to go do karaoke. I saw it in the movies. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, am I wrong that Connor is from, he's the wingman in Ferris Bueller. Is he not the same actor? Yep, that's him. I, I mean, I thought that, and I'm like, wouldn't it be amazing to have some, like, flash? To, because I don't know if they do karaoke in Ferris Bueller, but it wouldn't surprise me if they did. I haven't watched that movie in a long time, but it did feel like that. Like, let's blow it out tonight. And But where he wants to blow it out is at some dive bar in a, in a karaoke place, which I thought was funny. And apparently there's upscale karaoke places. So you can get your own karaoke room. Sure. Um, I wasn't aware of that, but I guess it makes sense. People will pay for it. So all of that was going on. I was also really intrigued by a character we saw a lot more of in earlier seasons. That was Stewie. And um, I think her name was Sonia, but one other board member who were trying to instigate a, not a revolt against the sale, but to try to get the Swede to bump up some money. Yeah. You want to kind of talk us through that? Yeah, I think it's Sandy. I might be wrong. Sandy, that's it. Uh, Sandy's here. And, um, you know, I don't totally know if I know why they are asking to sort of rabble rouse about the deal other than simply being activists and want, wanting more money for Waystar. But that this puzzled me even on this episode too about why the kids maybe are blowing up some of this Gojo acquisition because they need that money to buy Pierce. And so I was sort of confused of why they were even stirring that pot. But then it starts to become more clear. It seems that initially Shiv is doing this again from what I said in the first episode because she's hurt from the business and personal overlap here about Tom has conflicted all the divorce lawyers. Like she just she thinks her father has orchestrated that. So she wants to really stick it to her father to maybe have him squirm and not be able to get his the sale to go through as he intended. So she gets on board with thinking maybe we or actually, I think she even sort of starts the train in some ways. I'm thinking maybe we should get more money for this. Um, and then, you know, Kendall eventually gets on board with that as well. Once he sees Madsen looking stressed and thinks his is more of a business acumen, I think reason, which is like, wait a minute, this guy's pushing really hard. Maybe there is something where you could get a little more out for out of the sale. And then they eventually just convince Roman to kind of go along with that. But all that confused me because I thought, wait a minute, the last episode, we just had them overextending in some ways on an offer, but that was, you know, predicated upon this sale and then, you know, cashing out on this Gojo sale. So I was already a little unclear of why they were doing this. But then, as we said, it all comes back to this interweaving of personal slights and also potential business reasons as well. And so, when you think about that, especially from, you know, the fiduciary duty reasons and the other things, you know, you could easily couch that as like, we need to get as most money as we can for shareholders or whatever reason. But there's so many other small reasons that they want to embarrass their father, make him go back and grovel, as I think they said, or maybe Stewie said that, but to go make him, you know, shake a little bit more out of Matson to have this sale be higher. So that's how I understood that. And so they link arms with Stewie and Sandy 
Stewie being, I think, representing private equity interests in the company. And I think Sandy is like the daughter of, I don't know, there's some other, she references her dad in this, in that scene as well. I should go back and figure that out. But basically they then have a block of the board that won't approve the sale. So they, they're forcing Logan to go back and get the number higher. And so that's how I understood what was happening in that, in that um, plot line. So I originally thought they were just trying to squeeze a little bit more so they could use it in the Pierce acquisition. But then, and I have to say the phone call with the Swede really confused me, but I'm beginning to think Kendall just wants to blow the whole thing up. That he, he has the most deep seated hatred of his father for what his father's done to him over the past three seasons. And obviously before that in life, um, because I cannot figure out a rational reason for what they did. I, I, uh, I, you know, when you're getting one billion, you know, a billion one, um, maybe that one means something. But in my pedestrian analysis, I'd take the billion. Oh, so, but all of those things that you raised around fiduciary duty, um, one thing we've learned in the first three seasons is the rules are not rules. They're not regulations. I'm not sure they're suggestions. And they certainly don't apply to any of these guys. What did you think about the phone call with the Swede? Kendall's phone call? Right. Yeah. I. You know, it's funny because I was sort of looking at that. I mean, he's in a white tank top, like he's eating chips and drinking Coke. It's sort of not what you'd expect. And he comes in pretty aggressive. In fact, that was actually one of my lines. He said something like, uh, I have to find it. I wrote down. He's like, I've been told that when I'm direct, it can code aggressive, which is, I think, again, it's sort of euphemistic Silicon Valley type speak where they're saying really brutal things, but they try to, you know, couch it in some, let's just be cool, you know, kind of stuff. But so that it can code aggressive is what I thought was hysterical because he's being very aggressive, obviously. Um, and I, you know, I didn't, I thought there was going to be some side deal that he cut Kendall some pe- I thought I couldn't figure out where that was going but I do think it's trying to animate why Kendall also is going to listen to Shiv and then also to Stu and Sandy to vote against the deal which again I, to me seemed counterintuitive like you guys need this money out to go do your next thing but I, I do think what is animating him is again this idea that that would embarrass his dad, that this would require Logan to go back. And they, there's a lot of references to this is what Logan would do in his heyday. This is sort of a, a you know, play out of Logan's playbook itself. And there's almost a nod that Logan makes to that effect, which is, you know, he's, I think he says they've got some juice or something. Cause he sort of right. says, maybe this was not bad. They know what, maybe they do what they're doing. I would have done this too. Like there's a little more we can get out of this. So that call, um, I think Kendall takes that as this person's being too aggressive. And so he's nervous. Um, and I think he's bluffing is how I would think Kendall saw that. Like this guy's a little stressed. He needs this to go through. And uh, I think we maybe have him on the ropes too, is how I, is how I interpreted that call. Um, I thought there were two great scenes, great the two greatest were at the end in the karaoke bar. But before that, we had Logan on the floor of ATN and walking around. And, and some of the articles I read said Rupert Murdoch did that when he bought the wall street journal and 
they thought that that scene was written around there. And Greg in a panic call calls Tom and Tom says, describes, describe what's happening. And, and he tries to describe, and he basically says he looks like a hitman uh, getting ready to take a target out. Yeah. Cause I think he's even wearing sunglasses. Yeah. And it's, then he watches someone craft an email, which it's got to be one of the worst feelings in the world to watch the owner of your company as you were trying to write an email. So what did you think of that whole scene? Oh, I, I again, I was confused. I, that seemed initially out of character. Like I didn't know what Logan was up to. And it's all, I think, the buildup to his, like I was, I was referencing before, this big speech about how he's back and he's going to relaunch it. But he's, you know, going to, you know, I I guess sort of point out all the problems before he says that they basically need him to re, you know, re-steer this ship, get it back on course. But uh, yeah, I thought that was interesting. And and we saw that, um, I think at the end of the first episode where he was watching television, he's like, this is terrible. Why are we watching? I don't want to watch this. So he's already mad about whatever's going on at ATN. And I guess because now that's where he sees his future, that's what he's going to be doing. And so he feels the need to to take it, take it back, you know, take the reins again. But it was hysterical, but I couldn't figure out if he would really have done that. But I, I but it's, so it's funny you say that Rupert Murdoch actually did. It's clearly what this is based upon. So, yeah, I mean, nothing should surprise us, I guess. <laughs> so your take on the final scene at the karaoke bar when Logan and Carrie show up well how did that make you feel what did you think oh that was that was hard television to watch i mean because i thought it was so perfectly acted i mean especially about you know kendall who's been espousing all these buddhist mantras the whole time and right even before logan comes over he says to roman just be water you know he just he's being very chill he's being very cool kendall and then he pops off you know he's sort of the one who comes in the most sort of almost juvenile uh, way, just sort of just snappy and angry. And you can, as you said, like you can see how hurt they are. And so they all lose a little bit of their cool, which I thought was so amazingly acted. And, but yeah, it was hard. I mean, poor Carrie just got eaten alive as she I probably should have. <laughs> and, but I, I thought it was great. I thought all of their reactions, you know, when Shiv, he says, I'm sorry. And Shiv says, I will never believe anything you say again. Cause she's just like, you would even lie in this moment. And then poor Roman just says, what are you sorry for? Like even he needs some more. I mean, all of them, it was, it was a really, it was a really impressive scene. I thought. Yeah. I thought Shiv was just, the actress played Shiv was once again, fabulous in there. And I just saw all the hurt and all the pain uh, mm-hmm. come out. We probably should have prefaced the ending scene with great line from Logan uh, before they went there when he, Carrie said, well, do you want me to, you know, call the Swede and go nuclear? And he goes, no, this situation calls for a little more nuance. (laughs) And so he knew exactly what he was doing, but he said something he'd never said, which was, I love you kids. And I was with my aunt and uncle this weekend. And my uncle says to me, you know, your grandmother didn't tell your mother she loved her till two weeks before she died. Mm-hmm. And my grandmother was 93 when she died. Wow. And 
So that had some personal resonance. Now that was not my experience with my grandmother or my mother, but, um, you know, he actually said it and he used whatever capital is inside his head or his heart to say that. And so I thought they got him and they got him because he needed something from them. And he was willing to say something he'd never been willing to say. Now, Shiv had a great reaction to that, which I'll never believe anything you say. Mm-hmm. But I thought he made a, you know, he made a calculus. And that calculus, I have to say this, to get what I want. Recognizing your, as, as you correctly said, his line, there's some juice here. You know, right. maybe we should explore it. Um, so, but that just, that was so well acted. I don't know how those guys... I don't know how many takes they had to have or how much inner turmoil they had to bring up. I mean, the actor who plays Kendall apparently is the, the most method actor in the world ever. And so for him to to move from water to where he got, that was quite a spot. And, and Shiv was great. And, and the line you said that Roman said, it was, it sounded, when he said that, he sounded like a little boy to me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's the smallest, he's the runt, he's the baby. And I saw all those things at the way he said that line. And that, that was acting as fine as you'll see it. Yeah, it was very good. It was great. So what were some of your favorite lines from this episode? Okay, well, some of my, well, I told you about the code aggressive. I thought that was funny. All right. So in the beginning, <laughs> code aggressive. when even Kendall's realizing that they need to really shift what is on the news and at this point he's looking at what's on pierce's i think network when because they realize they're gonna buy it and he's like we need to do a whole new way to do news and he says we need to have it be global global to hyper local so we just need to know what's happening in africa and shiv says that sounds like homework the show or whatever i was like that's (laughs) pretty great the ones that jumped out i remember was when she said i got mommed when in in referencing that like what had happened to her mom, Tom had called all the divorce attorneys in town and conflicted her out. I thought that was a powerful, just quick line that, again, references sort of deep-seated, longer hurt, and then that her dad would counsel her her own ex to, to do that to her. I thought was that was a really powerful line. Um, and then I also just loved some of the stuff Connor was saying about how I need to go to a dive bar. He says, I need to go something where I, where people have sweat from their hands and blood in their hair or something. And I think Roma just says, that sounds like a medical experiment. Or <laughs> I mean, it was a great response, but I thought the the whole, I mean, there are a few things where he's like, when he's in the bar, he's like, I want to drink, you know, what, what do all Americans drink? He's like, I'll have a Belgian wheat beer. It was something hysterical. <laughs> like he still can't get all the way down to just regular American. He still has some Belgian import. I mean, the whole thing was, it was fantastic. It's great. So those are mine. Well, mine was, number one, I said a little bit earlier, I would like to sing in a karaoke bar because I saw it in the movies. When Tom tells Greg that he has to give the bad news to Carrie, he says, this is an incredibly delicate piece of diplomacy, Greg. It's like Israel-Palestine, except harder. (laughs) And and I love that. And then when Logan was uh, walking around the um, shop floor at ATN, and Greg reports to Tom, he says, he looks like Santa Claus if he was a hitman. That's <laughs> perfect. That's so uh, I love those lines. Well, you know, it only got better in episode two. I can't believe how 
all of us are so invested in all of these characters. I've seen as much written on this series as probably anything other than Ted Lasso. Now that I think about it and it's, it's just great. The screenwriting is just beyond belief. I can't wait to see what episode three brings us. Me too. Thanks again, Tom. Hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of Succession Season 4, Episode 1, as much as Karen and I enjoyed recording it and bringing it to you. And I hope you will join Karen and I again for the next episode, which of course is Episode 2. I also hope you will subscribe, rate, and review The Woody Report, which features Professor Karen Woody. The Woody Report is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.